Well, good morning from North America. Greetings, brethren, from around the world. It's good to be able to come and bring a message on GoToMeeting here this morning in Michigan. And greetings to you also from all of the family here in Michigan. It is a wonderful opportunity to be able to come together as the opening prayer indicated and have this time to fellowship together as God's family. And I want to emphasize a little bit today about family and, you know, the originator of this progeny, which is man. And so we're going to talk about Adam and his way and learn some lessons from him from the very beginning, things that stand out and things that are referenced in the scripture. We won't cover 100% of everything. One couldn't do that, of course, in the span of an hour. But we're going to learn some very valuable lessons here. Some of the things that are brought out in the scripture about our existence as mankind, if you will. So let's turn to, for our first scripture, let's turn to Romans. We'll begin our study in Romans. And we'll turn to Romans 3. In Romans 3, Paul brings out something that kind of reaches back to what we'll be talking about today. And we'll pick it up in verse, verse 9. So, And I apologize, brethren. Let's begin. Let's go to Romans 5. That's where I want to first begin. We'll get to Romans 3 in a moment. But let's start in Romans 5. Just go back, go forward a couple of chapters there in Romans 5. So in Romans 5, Paul mentions something and he tells us in verse 12. He says, therefore, as by one man, sin entered the world and by means of sin came death so now we see problem the elephant in the room from god's creation of man until the return of christ is this problem of sin and now let's understand it a little bit more so paul tells us that by one man sin came into the world and so let's define, if you will, the world, because we also know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that we could have some hope there and have some something to grasp, if you will, and feel for and to hope for. So so he says that sin came into the world by this one man and by means of sin came death. And in this way, this by this process, this act, sin entering into the world, death passed into all mankind. So we have Adam to thank for that. We have him for making a decision at that moment that resonates all the way through time and resulting in a number of needs in Christ from the foundation of the world recognizing that giving him the option of choice, if you will, that he might make the wrong choice. And so 
he fulfilled that which he had planned to do from the foundation of the world in order to rectify that and provide a solution for that. So sin and death passed on to all mankind, the law of sin and death. And it is for this reason that all have sinned. Now, again, recognizing that we are and were in a state of sinful flesh. Verse 13, for before the law, sin was in the world. However, sin is not imputed. Sin is not imputed when law does not exist. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. It was there. Even upon those who had not sinned in the likeness of the transgression of Adam. And Adam's sin was indeed significant. So let's go back a moment and define the world that we're talking about here. Sin entered into the world. And if we're just looking at the inset prong that is a part of the faithful version, it brings out the various aspects of this word, cosmos, K-O-S, M-O-S. And I just pull some things out of there. Cosmos deals with one of the things that it defines, if you will, talks about the inhabitants of the earth, sons of men, the human family. Again, it, the word carries a focus onto each and every one of us. So sin entered into the world. Man now is exposed to sin. Sin now has this grasp on mankind. If you look at the setting that we had in the Garden of Eden, it was an incredible setting. Indeed, there was God in their midst face-to-face, -face, teaching them, you know, and I'm sure on the Sabbath there was special time, as it is with us today, that he dwelt with his creation, beginning with Adam, before, even before he made Eve. Remember, Adam had a very integral part in naming the animal. God told him to care for and tend the garden, explain to him, you know, how to keep it and what things were appropriate to use in their use. There was no sin. You know, we are talking about no sweat of the brow to get it all done because we didn't have to wrestle with, you know, the weeds and the thistles and the things that we have to deal with today. For me to get my garden prepared for the spring, I've got to put some work in and some sweat in because the weeds are already coming in. That's just the nature of things. Bare ground attracts and requires weeds to grow, or they grow. And we have to pull them out with our hands and the sweat and the sweat of our brow. This wasn't the case in the garden. And so here's Christ instructing Adam and then later Eve, as we'll see. So sin came into the world. And what impact did it have? An incredible impact on that setting that I've just described. And I, my words don't give it justice, I'm sure. But this 
aftermath, after sin came in, again, the word world describes then the condition of man otherwise, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men, all of God's creation here, all of mankind, alienated from God. So today that's kind of what it's describing. Now hostile to the cause of Christ. Enmity has formed and that division has been set. This, brethren, is the result of sin. This is the result of sin. Now let's turn to Romans 3. And we'll see as Paul continues to define for us the state of things. In verse 9, he talks about even us within the body of Christ as it was then. He was talking to, to the Jews. He says, what then? Are we of ourselves better? Thinking about our state or the state of man. When we look at it from that perspective, we are all standing in the grace of Christ. We are all endowed with the law of sin and death. We were all dead in trespasses and sin. So, brethren, the state that we find ourselves in now is because God is doing a work that enables us to have a relationship with him again. That is enabling us to have hope for an eternal life with him, which was his plan from the beginning. He made man for a purpose. And it was Satan who came into the garden and disrupted that. It was Adam's decisions that put us on this track that was going to require Christ, was going to require a savior, going to require the Messiah to come. And now we have this knowledge and this understanding that God has given us by grace, by a calling and an election to be a part of the first beginnings of it. God's plan is still being fulfilled for all of his creation. It is indeed going to come to be. So we look at this result of sin. So we're not better than anyone in the world, but saved by the grace of God, we would still be in our state of death. No, not at all. For we, so verse 9, the latter part, for we have already charged both Jews and Gentiles, everyone, all of mankind, all of Adam's progeny, with being under sin. Now we are starting to understand why we needed we need a Savior. Let's read on a little bit further here. Exactly, verse 10, as it is written. But there is not a righteous one. Brother, and that means not one. No, not even one. There's not one who understands. Saved by God's bringing that light into your eyes and opening your mind so that you can understand and circumcising your heart so that you're not hostile against him anymore. That's the miracle that was performed in each and every one of us. Verse 11, the last part says, yeah, there is not one who seeks after God. And it's only by that calling. We've been talking recently about conversion and 
coming and changing. And yes, Norbert's message last night really spoke to me personally, as I'm sure it did to each and every one of you. I internalized it within myself as I was listening to it and thinking about choices that we make and the calling that God has given us and answering the call when he reached down and got our attention. So God is calling first fruits, preparing us to do the greater work in the millennium, do the greater work in the great white throne judgment to bring all of his sons and daughters into his family, which was his purpose from the beginning. But again, brethren, it depends upon choice. And we can learn from Adam's choice to help us to truly kind of reflect and make sure that we're making the right choice. So all our understanding in verse 11, now there's not, I'm sorry, verse 12. He says that they have all gone out of the way so they have turned aside from God's purpose. Together they have all become depraved. There is not even one who is practicing kindness, let alone righteousness. Just being kind. You see the hostility in the world. The love of many is growing cold in society as a whole. The world is indeed changing. The spirit within the world is changing. You see it. And it is not isolated in any one nation or place. It is all over the world. We see the spirit of Satan continuing to affect man. So there's not even one practicing kindness. No, there is not so much as one. It says that there are mouths. I'm sorry. That their throats are like an open grave, verse 13. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The venom of ass is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. So where will we find that peace, brethren? It has to come to us, and Christ is the answer. He came into the world to make a difference, and oh, what a difference did he make in terms of creating and offering hope beyond all this foolishness that we see in society. Our hope is in Christ. Verse 23, he says again, verse 23 of Romans 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that glory is what God intended. He made us in his image. After his likeness. God made us. For a purpose. And we have lost our way. Mankind has lost. Its, its way. Its way. And this isn't anything as of late. This began. With our father Adam. It began there. So I described to you the setting as it were. Here is Adam in the garden. And God instructing him. Let's go back for a minute. Let's go to Acts 7. Acts 17. 
let's get something right into the record so we truly comprehend the scope of what has occurred here or what is about to occur with Adam's decision. As we look at Acts 17 and we pick it up in verse 22, here is the what God did. Verse 22, and Paul stood in the center of Mars, healed. And this is Paul having an opportunity to give a Bible study, if you will, on the true God. Paul stood in the center of Mars, healed, and said, men, Athenians, I perceive that in all things you are very reverent to deities. And this, these are the wise ones of the world, the Athenians, right? For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your veneration, I also found an altar in which was inscribed to the unknown God. And again, since the Garden of Eden, man has been caught off from they don't know God. It was mentioned in some of the comments earlier as we were coming on. The world is blinded to this truth. They truly do not comprehend as we all were. I'm not just mentioning that as though I'm speaking down to a fact or state of man. We were all in that condition. God is making a difference here. So the, they have this statue. They like to worship everything. Didn't want to leave anything un, unconsidered to the unknown God. So then he whom you worship in ignorance, worshiping the unknown God, is the one that I proclaim to you. Now, here's what it, Paul is explaining about the true God. He is the God. Who made the world as we describe it, mankind, all that exists, earth and, and the universe as we know it and all things that are in it. Being the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made by hand, nor is he served by the hands of men as though he needs anything. For he gives to all life and breath. In all things. And he made of one blood. All the nations of men. To dwell upon all the face of the earth. Having determined beforehand. Their appointed time. And the boundary of their dwellings. In order that they might seek the Lord. If perhaps again thinking of. About what Paul is saying here. God made us as we are. Has given us an understanding of his purpose. And giving us the seasons. He is revealing himself through his creation to his creation. Through his creation to his human creation. Having determined beforehand. Our appointed times. And the boundaries of our dwelling. In order that we might seek the Lord, this is the objective here, that we recognize that we have a creator, that we have a God that we should be seeking after. Not inviting him into our heart. We need to go where he is on his terms and seek the Lord. If perhaps they might feel after him, they might find him. Though truly, he is not far from each one of us, as he was there with Adam in the garden when he made his decision. The Lord was in his midst. He knew him. 
He goes on to say in verse 28, as he is explaining to the Athenians, for in him we live. We draw our breath. We exist and move and have our being. As some of the poets among you, he told the Athenians, some of the poets among you also have said, for we are his offspring. We are his offspring. Let's go to First Samuel. First Samuel. Let's let the prophet Samuel expound on this a little bit more. First Samuel chapter two. Pick it up in verse six. First Samuel two. Here is the God that we bow to. Here is the God that we worship. Here's the God who loves us and made us. He wants us to understand who he is. Verse 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. There's no limit to God. In him is life, brethren. So to understand God, we have to understand that he is the God who gave life. He can take life and he can give life again. The Verse 7, the Lord takes away, he gives riches, he brings low, yea, he lifts up high. He raises up the poor out of the dust. And we understand that this is a part of what Christ, the prophecy of the Messiah was to do, is to, you know, help the poor. Yea, he causes them to inherit a throne of honor for the Lord for to the Lord belongs pillars of the earth, and he sets the habitable world upon them. Yes, he is the great creator, and he is the God that we worship. Let's go to Proverbs 8. And again, I'm establishing the same God that was there having this, these conversations, working with his creation at the very beginning, the first man made in the image of God. So. Let's hold your finger there. Let's go first over to Genesis 1. Let's go to Genesis 1 and then we'll go to Proverbs 8. Let's go over to Genesis 1. I'm going to try to get all of these scriptures in here because they all have bearing on this relationship that we currently walk in. And let's keep this in mind. This relationship that we walk in is being orchestrated from above. We are a part of it. And we have to remember that we're not running things here. We are blessed to be a part of the plan of God now, to have knowledge of it, to participate in it, and be a part of God's family as he is working today. So in Genesis 1, in verse 26, Let's get back to the garden for a moment. Genesis 1 and verse 26. This is where God formed man. He said, let us. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So mankind, the creation of man, was for a special purpose. To have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that is that crawls upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In a very clear statement, and let me make it loud and clear, he created them as he did with the animal kingdom, male and female. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That is, populate the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and have dominion over the sea and over the fowl of heaven, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, here's the state in the garden. Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, every tree upon which is fruit of tree bearing seed, to you they shall be for fruit. And to every animal of the earth, and to every fowl of heaven, and to all the living creatures that crawl upon the earth, even every green planet is even for food. And it, is, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was exceedingly good in the evening and the morning well, the sixth day. And I remember just starting to study scripture early in my calling and defining a day, evening and morning. As the sun was setting, begins the day. So this is where God is creating. Let's go over to chapter two of Genesis now and pick it up in verse 15. 15 and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it to dress it and to keep it and that is also with emphasis as we have the note to guard it to guard it guard it from who brethren to be mindful to be watching to take care, to guard it. So, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden. And here is instructions, right? But you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in that day that you eat of it, and dying, you shall surely die. Now, I'm coming to understand this tree of the knowledge of good and evil more and more, breath. It is this reliance upon a knowledge or a wisdom that does not originate from God. It is taken unto yourself, this idea that you can define good and evil, or what is right, or what is acceptable, that is coming from within you or from your own creative being, that this is not from God. And anything that's not from God is from the devil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil originates not from God's thinking, but your own thinking and inspired of Satan. And so we are always looking toward the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We are seeking understanding and truth from God, not our own way, not our own things. Because the things that come from us, the things that come from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil leads to death. 
Because God told him, and he, by instruction, the word is preserved for us. For in the day that you eat of it, in dying you shall surely die. No, we eat from Christ, from the word. We partake from the table of God. We don't seek after the bread of this world, the riches of this world, the wisdom of this world. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper compatible for him. A counterpart, a sustainer right by his side. And then in verse 19, and out of the, so it says, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every animal of the field, every fowl of air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that became his name. So we see a relationship here forming between the creator God and the created man. Eve is not on the scene yet. Adam is being instructed well before he received his wife. He's being taught how to care and guard, not only the garden, but a family that God was going to give him here. And this is also the instructions that we receive even today, that you go and build a home and then you seek a wife. You don't go out there looking for a wife to bring into nothing. You have to build a foundation. And once you have a family, you're supposed to guard it and keep and care for it. And then, and Paul goes on to talk about love, the relationship between husband and wife, like the church and Christ. We have a lot of information to help us to truly understand what that represents. So, verse, uh, skip down to verse 20. So, Adam gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the air, every animal of the field, but there was not found a helper compatible for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs. From out of man, a rib was taken and afterward closed back up the flesh underneath. And then the Lord God did something incredible, brother. And I dwell on this, you know, quite interestingly. I should say dwelt on this quite interestingly as a young single person. From within man was taken a rib and God formed a woman. Verse 22, the Lord God made the rib which he had taken out of man into a woman. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, no, again, probably not expressed here, but I'm sure wow was in there somewhere. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man woman. And verse 24. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and they were not ashamed. Again, no sin, no, just the innocence of a child, if you will, in this presence of God being taught and instructed without sin. All right. So we've established that. Let's go to Proverbs 8. So this understanding that all knowledge, all good things, all wisdom, all truth, anything that is 
is, is to be had for a purpose of life comes from God, comes from his word. Okay. So we go to Proverbs now. And that's, it is of wisdom to comprehend these things. And God, he extends to us wisdom from above. So in Proverbs 8. And let's pick it up in verse 1. Does not wisdom call, and does not understand and put forth her voice. And this is the relationship in the garden with Adam at first and then after Eve up to a point until Satan comes on the scene. So God is telling us how important his wisdom is, how important his word is, how important his truth is, his way. That is that is from God because God made us and we are to gain knowledge and perspective and truth and direction from him. Not from our own wisdom, not from the wisdom of this world, which belongs to Satan. God has called us out of this world into his truth. And so he says again in verse one, does not wisdom call and does not understand and put forth her voice. She stands in the top of high places by the place where the paths meet. She cries in the gate at the entrance of the city, at the doors to you, O men, I call. And my voice is to the sons of men. As there, as he began in the garden, now he still speaks to us through his word, the Holy Script. He says in verse five, Oh, you simple ones, understand with, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing twisted or perverse in them. This is the instruction that Christ was given to Adam. They, verse 9, they are all plain to him who understand. And God has given us understanding. The right to those, sorry, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction, not silk, and knowledge rather than choice gold, because the silver and gold perishes breath. God's word, his truth stands forever. In verse 11, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to wisdom, that is to it. God's word, his truth, and what he has revealed to us. We are indeed fortunate. And so God says about wisdom through this proverb, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth. Now, this is where Adam should have been standing on these principles at the time that sin came into the garden, that Satan, the deceiver, came into the garden. Verse 14, counsel and sound wisdom are mine. I'm sure God had instructed him. He says, I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and princesses decree justice. Princesses rule by me and nobles and all the judges of the earth. 
Sounds like something that we need to be putting in our toolbox, right? Preparing for ruling with Christ in the kingdom. Verse 17, I love those who love and those who seek me early find shall find riches and honor are with me. Yea, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold. What I give is better than choice silver. I want us to hear these words, brethren, because this is a relationship that God wants us to have with him as he did Adam. He says, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit substance, and I will find, fill their treasury. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Yes, it was there as he was instructing Adam in the way that he should go. Before his works of old, even the foundation of the world, right? God recognizing that he was going to create humankind and instruct them in the way that they should walk. There are many scriptures, even in the relationship between God and the nation of Israel, where these principles are brought out even more profoundly in that personal relationship that he had with the people that he had called unto himself, a special treasure to have a relationship with him, to be, to show the world what this wisdom could produce. And verse 23 again, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning before the earth ever was. When there was no depth, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he had made the earth or the fields or the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heaven, I was there. When he set a circle upon the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its limit that the water should not pass his command when he appointed the foundations of the earth. You're starting to understand Paul's lesson on God to the Athenians too. You compare Proverbs 8 to that, that he was explaining to them. Verse 30, even I was with him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in the habitable world, rejoicing in the habitable world, his earth. And my delight was with his, with the sons of men. And now therefore hearken unto me, O children, O you children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not refuse it. Blessed is the man and brethren that is any of God's creation, any of mankind. Blessed is the man or woman who hears me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the a post of my doors. But whoever finds me finds life. It shall abide. It shall obtain favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All who hate me love death. So we see the choice that is set before us here. And we start to understand we know that all things came into being through Christ, through him. In First John, let, I'm sorry, in John, the Gospel of John, let's turn there. 
the Gospel of John, again, Christ having the opportunity to tell us, again, expounding upon this truth. And as we look at John 1 and verse 3, all things came into being through him, and not even one thing that was created came into being without him. That includes Brethren Lucifer. That includes Lucifer. The great angel as he was, but we know he failed. And let's go over now to John 3. In John 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus by name, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So this light that came into the world over there in John 1, this teacher has come into the world to continue and to provide instructions for his creation being lost, sold in sin and death. So Christ is bringing hope. So he's recognizing that, yes, he is a teacher. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one is able to do the miracles that you are doing unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, truly, I say to you, unless anyone is born again, and that is anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was puzzled by this and his understanding of it. So we recognize that a change must occur. And so Nicodemus said in verse four, he said to him, how can a man be old, who is old, be born? Can he enter into his mother's room a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless anyone has been born of water in a spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so we have an instruction there provided that verse six, that which has been born of the flesh is flesh, that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. And he says, do not be amazed at the, that I said to you, it is necessary for you to be born again. And he is just laying out there as a part of his ministry and his message that there is a life beyond the flesh. There is a life beyond the flesh if we are to have it. So we have this condition that we find ourselves in. You know, we find ourselves under the consequences of Adam's sin. And yes, brethren, we have our own sin as well, not just his. Christ came into the world and saved us from sin. So there is a means by which we can have the sins of Adam eliminated through what Christ did. But we also know that we still carry with us the law of sin and death. So the three aspects of salvation, you know, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. And Christ did indeed save us from the sins of Adam, the law of sin and death, and the death that was over us and the bondage that Satan had on us because we were born into the progeny of Adam. That part, through faith in Jesus Christ, has given us freedom. We are being saved, 
each and every single day as we walk in, in, in newness of life, as we practice righteousness, as we look to God in faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are being saved. This covenant relationship that we have with God, we are being saved as we avail ourselves to it, as we keep, have faith in it, as we live in it and practice the way of God. And we shall be saved in that day because our faith is steadfast and we endure to the end. We understand these principles. So we found ourselves in the consequences of sin, the sin of Adam. But God gives us true hope. He gives us true hope. Turn to First Timothy 2. First Timothy chapter 2. In First Timothy 2, verse 13. Just read 13 and 14 here. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman came to be in transgression by being deceived. Now, I bring this scripture out because we need to understand that the, this question. So Paul tells us that we're not to be deceived, not by Satan nor men. It's first Corinthians, you could just write in your notes, first Corinthians 11, 3. So what are we to do then? Okay. So we have this relationship between God, uh, the Lord God and Adam prior to even Eve's creation of instruction in his way. He spent time with Adam. He had a relationship with God face to face. So here comes Satan into the garden and all of a sudden the target of his attempt, if you will, or the target of his attack was Eve. See, he starts to ask her questions. Question, where is Adam? Was he not there? Could he not intervene? Did he not, did he forget the instructions that God had given him? What was happening there is the question that I have. And it is a question that I may not fully understand until the resurrection. But Adam was not deceived, but the woman came to be in transgression by being deceived. Verse 15 now of 2 Timothy 2. But she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-control. So this is all, again, made possible through Christ's death and resurrection and salvation and forgiveness and re reconciliation, you know, through him. Turn with me to Romans 8. So because of what Christ has done in coming into our life and bringing us the hope that he has given us, we indeed have a newness of life in Christ. Let's read verse 1 of Romans 8. Consequently, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who are not walking according to the flesh, not making the same decisions that Adam made, but according to the spirit. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has delivered me and all of us, brethren, from the law of sin and death. Yes, we have been made. For what was impossible for the law to do, any law, in that it was weak 
through the flesh. God, having sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So our Savior brought hope. Our Savior brought and renewed and restored life in this relationship. Verse 4, in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Our lives now are new spiritually in Christ. One day we will be spirit with Christ if we endure to the end. Verse 5, for those who walk according to the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. But those who walk according to the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is indeed, brethren, is to be, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That is what occurred after Adam's sin. But it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. But those who are in the flesh cannot please. However, brethren, he tells us here, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If the spirit of God is indeed dwelling in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ be within you, this is the new relationship. There isn't a counseling necessarily just face to face, which would be incredible all by itself. We saw the result of that in Moses and Christ. But we have something greater than that, brethren. Let's read verse 10. But if Christ be within you, the body is indeed dead because of sin. However, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness is dwelling in us? Whose mind is being implanted and developed within us? The very mind of Christ. So, no, it's not face to face anymore. It is God, the Father. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, dwells within us. They have literally become a part of who we are by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, changing our heart, changing our mind, co-joined with the spirit of man, creating a new creation. Verse 11, now if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling within you and you're putting on the mind of Christ and you're growing in this knowledge and this understanding and living this way in hope and faith, this wonderful relationship that we have with God as individual and as a family, then we too have hope. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, latter part of verse 11, will also Quicken your mortal bodies because of his spirit that dwelt in. So then, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh. We are not in bondage to Satan. He does not have control of our life unless we get it to him. We belong to Christ. We belong to the Father. So verse 12, so then, brethren, we are not debtors of the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you are living according to the flesh, you shall die. That was the instruction God gave Adam in the garden. He didn't hear him. We need to hear these words as God's called and elect, because our Garden of Eden is out there in the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus Christ is instructing us each day as he's doing today on the Sabbath. But he says, there's a but. If by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. If we're using God's spirit as food for the purpose he gave it to us, to put to death the deeds of the body. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And this is a relationship that we have, as it says there in verse 15, we say, we call out, Abba, Bob. This relationship is an intimate relationship. Yeah, Adam was in the garden tempted. And it led to sin. And he was tempted by the lust within him. And we all have this lust, this law of sin and death, which is within him. It was stoked by Satan, yes, and that's how it works. It was stoked by Satan himself. Now, do you think Satan, when he was picking on Eve, that Adam wasn't in his mind? You don't think he realized where Adam was as he was picking on Eve? No, Satan is diabolical. He's crafty. He knows what he's doing. So I cry out to you, brethren, to recognize the need for God's wisdom in your life for God's wisdom in our lives so that Satan won't come in and deceive us, that we hold fast to the truth that God has given us and we stand in the truth that God has given us. See, sin's desire is for us. Sin's desire is for us. Adam sinned and his sin hooked him. You know, the enticement, as is mentioned in James 4. I was doing this and preparing this and preparing the sermon. The one thing that jumped out at me was this, how sin is a lure. And it lures you away. Now, I'm a fisherman. And I understand the effect of a good lure. So, Satan is an artful fisherman as well. We have that symbol that. Many of the churches in the world in terms of being a fisherman, Satan is a fisherman too. And he uses a lure, various lures of all types to entice us and to get us our attention. And we go after and we get hooked and drawn away from God. But we have to stay close to our God, who is our father. So Satan is the father of lies. We need to reject him at every turn. Don't fall victim to his lies, as Adam did. God instructs us by his word. Adam was also instructed by God, but did not listen. He listened to Satan and obeyed him, and not God, as was mentioned there in Genesis 3.22. At that moment, Adam became a servant of Satan. How? He became a servant of Satan by yielding to sin and the lust thereof. I want to read this into the record. Let's go to Romans 6. This is very important. That we are servants to the ones that we obey. So he says in Romans 6, 16. And this is our lesson that we took from the days of unleavened bread. And this is our lesson that we take across to Pentecost. The seven weeks. This lesson is brought out with the seven churches. God says, obey my voice. And if we obey his voice, 
we are servants of his. In verse 16 of Romans 6, don't you realize to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you are servants of the one you obey, whether it is of sin unto death, which is for Satan, or of obedience unto righteousness, which is unto God. But thanks be to God that you were servants of sin. You were the servants of sin. As I said, the state of man, of all men. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. And having been delivered from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. That is who we are now. Servants of righteousness, raised from the dead, from the watery grave, symbolically to serve anew unto God. Seeking a new homeland, seeking a kingdom, not of this world, but one that is promised to us. And God is preparing us to receive it. So our hope is in God. Let's go to 1 John 5. 1 John 5, and we'll kind of sum up with these two verses. So in 1 John 5, and let's just pick it up in verse 1, says, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been begotten by God and everyone who loves him who begat also loves him who has been begotten by him. By this standard, we know that we are, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his command. That wisdom that God was talking about. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now then, everyone who has been, who is begotten by God overcomes the world. So God is bringing us out of the world through his, through his begittal, the power of the spirit dwelling in us. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, brother. Faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not in our wisdom. Faith is not in this world nor the rulers of this world in any shape, form, or fashion. Our faith is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the great work that God the Father has done through him in order that we might have a relationship with the Father. Verse 5, who is the one who overcomes the world? Even the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus the Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is the truth. And this is, again, an, a truth that we need to take with us. For there are three that bear witness in the area, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three witness unto one truth. If we accept the witness of men, the witness of God is superior. For this is the witness of God, which he has witnessed concerning his son. Brethren, this is a witness given by the father himself. Concerning his son, the one who believed. And the son of God has witnessed in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has witnessed concerning his son. I'm not going to, I believe the father. I'm not going to sit here and say that he is a liar. Trusting God, as was mentioned there in Proverbs 8, 
verse 11, and this is the witness that God has given us, witness that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. We are not to be deceived as Satan was deceived in the garden. Verse 12 is clear. The one who has the son has eternal life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. So we can struggle in this flesh as much as we want to. If we're trying to achieve perfection in it, we're striving for righteousness and doing all those things which are our obligation. But our hope and our rejoicing and our ability to keep going is based on a truth that God the Father and Jesus Christ is in our corner helping us. We're not doing this alone, brethren. We're not fighting this fight alone. Here's another truth about the Garden of Eden. If, you know, Satan is there, he was allowed in. Adam and Eve is there. They knew God. Where in any of that exchange did they ever look up and cry out and say, God, come and take this being out of here or God help me or God forgive me or God strengthen me or God rebuke you, Satan, the devil, and get thee from before me. Did it ever happen? Let's not be so negligent in our walk with God. When we are in trouble, cry out. When we need help, cry out. When we sin, repent. Ask forgiveness. This walk that we are walking toward eternal life is with God the Father and Jesus Christ at our right hand. Let's go to Ephesians. It's Ephesians 5 that I want. So here's a relationship that we have, and I have only touched on a portion of it with this message. There is so much to be gleaned in terms of Adam's mistake and what God did to redeem us from it and the walk that we have now have with him enhanced through a covenantal relationship promised in blood by our Savior who is alive at the right hand of God the Father, ready, able, capable of strengthening us and giving us what we need make it. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, even as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet, smelly sake. That is the God that we have hope in. That is the Savior who came and died for us. And that is where life is, brethren, in Christ and in our relationship with him and the relationship made possible through him with God the Father. So I encourage you as we go on across to the resurrection feast, as we walk across these continuing weeks toward Pentecost, that we as a church be of this mind. 